Welcome to Christian Life Church Podcast. Please subscribe to our channel. If you have a Bible with you this morning, perhaps you could go to the book of Matthew chapter 11 for me. And we're going to start a new conversation this morning on something, if I'm honest, which has been brewing in my life for some time now. Probably more a question trying to understand the ways of God, trying to fathom how God does what he promises he will do. But in Matthew 11, if there was ever a word in season to the church and to God's people, it's this. Verses 28 to 30 say this. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened. Does that sound like you? (laughs) Anybody identify with that? Come on. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Can anyone say amen to that promise? For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Amen. I find that. God is perfect and impeccable with his timing. In a world full of turmoil, anxiety, fear, all kinds of things are gripping the hearts and souls of so many, many people on this earth. I believe this is a prophetic invitation from God to his people to come and to find in him and from him a rest and a peace and a fullness and a blessing. And I'm so grateful to God that his promises are yes, aren't you? And all that God requires of us to be able to enter into the fullness of that promise is an amen. And amen, loosely termed, basically means this. Let it be so. Let it be so for me, God. But amen is not just a word, it's a posture of heart. For me to live in the invitation that Jesus gives me, it's got to be more than just an intellectual agreement to the possibility. I have to align myself consistently to that reality. When God promises rest, it doesn't mean there's going to be a quick answer in a crisis for your life. That rest is his consistent and permanent reality. He is permanently the God of rest. He is not a God who we can just dip in and dip out of. And I think we do that sometimes. Can you turn me down, please, whoever's on the sound? It's ringing back. We are called to move. In fact, if you look at the first sentence together, come to me. We're called to live in a consistent movement and an orientation of heart towards him. We're not called to dip into it when we have an emergency. We're not called to visit it when we have a crisis. We're called to live permanently consistently orientated towards the God who is the God of rest and peace. Amen. And Jesus always speaks a word in season. He always speaks right to the heart of the matter. Look back in the scripture to verse 1 for me, please. There's something there that I think is important for us as we begin this conversation together. Matthew 11, verse 1. This is what Jesus is saying. He says, I thank you, Father, that you have hidden these things from the wise but have revealed them to the lowly. In other words, for us to live in the reality of all that Jesus provides for us, we must be childlike. We must be like a child. We must come to God 
in innocence and humility. We must never come to God in presumption or familiarity. We must come to him in innocence and humility. And God has hidden from the learned and the wise things that he will reveal to the humble and the childlike. So if you ever want revelation from God, you can't come with your qualifications. How many of you have noticed God's not impressed with your qualifications? God is no respecter of people. In other words, he's not impressed by the things that the world are impressed with. God wants us to come to him knowing our need of him and knowing him as a father and coming recognizing that we come into this place where we're able to receive from him. Look at verse 26. Verse 26 says, even so, Father, as it seems good in your sight. In other words, let this be an ongoing revelation. Let it be a consistent, ongoing revelation. Church, I want to tell you this morning that serving God and following Jesus has always been meant to be joyful, enriching, liberating, and life-changing. But not every Christian feels that way. The truth is many feel tired, many feel weary and discouraged, and after a while some even become bitter because they've served God so well and for so long their hearts in many ways have forgotten their first love and they're more preoccupied with what it is that they think will bring some kind of blessing to God. Serving for some people has become burdensome, there's no joy in it anymore. And I want to tell you this morning, it doesn't have to be that way. Jesus never intended it to be that way. Serving God should be the greatest thing in your life. Loving him and serving him and following him is meant to be all-consuming. You're meant to feel rewarded and blessed and fulfilled in all that you do for him. I feel sometimes for all of us, when we read scriptures like this and promises like this, We feel there's a disconnect between the promise of God and the reality of how it actually works out in our lives. But Jesus has made this promise to us and for the next few weeks we're going to lean into it and just discover the secret of what it means to live in an easy yoke. Jesus says these words to you. I want these to sit over your life tonight. Sorry, today. It's been a long day for me. Over your life today. (laughs) Okay. Over your life today. He says... I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Just let that absorb the deepest parts of your being. I will give you rest. What does he mean by that? I will make you free. I will make you joyous. I will make you fulfilled. I will make you happy. I will make you free from the toiling and slogging that goes on day to day in your life. I will make you free from the burden of sin. I will make you free from pain and sadness and sickness. I will make you free from weakness. I will make you free from the sin that you experience in your heart, from the failure that hangs around consistently. I will make you free from shame and guilt. Jesus says this, I have come to give you rest. I have come to give you rest. You see, when I look at this scripture, I think a couple of things around it as I've been grappling with it. It would seem to me that when Jesus offers freedom and peace and rest, the opposite seems to be what we experience. 
we come to him and we think, well, how can we actually get rest from you, Jesus, when you seem to increase our burdens? You see, now as a Christian, we have a burden to be holy. Has anybody found that burden quite difficult to handle? Give me a wave if you struggle sometimes to live in holiness. Talk to me. I can go home and be ignored. Come on. Yeah. He also tells us that we must go and win the whole world for him. Remember, this is the Jesus that promises us rest. And now he requires of us that we should be holy as he is holy. And not only personal holiness, God desires that the whole world is filled with his presence and his power. And he instructs us to go and win the whole world for Jesus. He adds to this that we should love everyone. How's that going for you? Love everyone as he has loved, we too should also love. He tells us that we should take care of the poor and the needy. I don't know if you've noticed, but we're living in a world where the poor and the needy seem to be far closer to the reality of where we're living than perhaps in the past. There's so many needy people in our world, isn't there? So many people who define themselves as living in poverty. On top of that, he asks us to give our time to him. How many of us have found the invitation of Jesus to spend time with him a little bit burdensome? Oh, you see, I love honesty because honesty and truth are the things that set people free. Do you ever feel guilty because you didn't get a quiet time? Give me a wave if you could do better in your prayer life. Give me a wave if you would love to think that God would just meet with you instantly, but it takes you two hours to find him. Yeah, I've noticed that about him. Sometimes he feels hard to catch, doesn't he? Sometimes you just think maybe, oh, maybe not. He asks us to give our time to him, to give the resources of our lives, our energies to his kingdom and his kingdom extension and to top it all. He even asks for our money. I think one of the hardest things to surrender in my life way back at the beginning was my money. You see, when you grow up and you don't have much, you hang on to it. Well, I say hang on to it. I spent it on nice things. Jesus seems to be contradicting himself. He's saying, I will give you rest. I will give you peace. But then it seems that Serving him and following him seems to add so much to our lives as opposed to reduce our stress load. At times, it can feel like he's increased it. And here's the biggest one of all. If you want to follow Jesus and you want to enter his rest and experience that rest, he invites us to serve him and to love him with all of our heart, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. Can I ask you, does that sound like rest? Does that sound like the peace that you're looking for? Does that sound like the kind of thing that you feel you could be attracted to? In other words, some people would say that this invitation has some strings attached to it. I'm not so sure that we should see it that way, but sometimes I think we can feel that way. Now look at verse 28 for me. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. 
Now, if things weren't difficult enough in serving him wholeheartedly, giving ourselves to him in service, fulfilling his desires to reach the world with the good news of Jesus Christ, how could a yoke ever sound like something that would bring peace or rest to a human heart? I think a yoke feels contradictory. It feels counterintuitive to us. Haven't we got enough weight? Don't we have enough pressures on our lives? What is Jesus inviting us into where a yoke is concerned? And I want to just highlight something to you that as I've been thinking around this um, for some time now, I realize and recognize that what Jesus is speaking to and speaking from is a very familiar picture to those who were his first century audience. You know, in that kind of culture, there was a lot of farming, a lot lot of people working in agriculture. And so they'd be very familiar with the terminologies that Jesus is using. Now, I don't know if we've got any farmers in the room. There doesn't tend to be many in Birmingham, in an industrial city. But if you've been a farmer and you've worked the land, and particularly if you've been around for a while and you've worked the land historically, you will know that often when it comes to plowing up the field or, or driving the oxen to produce furrows so that you can plant um, seeds and plants into them, you will discover that usually this is the pattern that's formed in that you have a very well-rehearsed, older oxen who has done this for many, many, many years and therefore has a very clear understanding of what's expected. And in this particular story that Jesus is telling, he's saying alongside that older, very accomplished and very clear understanding that the old ox has, they place a young ox next to him. And those two are yoked together with what is a wooden structure that keeps them tied together. And the reason and the purpose for that wooden structure is so that the young oxen can learn from the older oxen how things really work. And so Jesus is saying to us right at the beginning of this invitation to enter into his rest that you are now yoked to me. I have joined you to me. And and the picture for us is an interesting one because just as it would happen in the natural, it sometimes happens in the spiritual. We are walking in partnership, joined with Jesus, and yet the truth is we do not let him lead. So often we think we can go our own way and do our own thing. And of course that makes sense, doesn't it? Why the yoke doesn't feel light or the burden doesn't feel easy. Because we're in this tension with God himself who knows that he knows that he knows exactly how this should work. And we think that we know that we know that we know exactly how we want it to work. Church, I don't know if you realize this, but the minute you invited Jesus into your life, you gave up all of your rights to live independently. That went well. The minute you said to Jesus, be my Lord and be my Savior, and trust me, if he is your Savior, he desires to be your Lord. Is there anybody who's been saved by Jesus? 
That salvation work is not a once and, and forever you know, um, reality. You have to keep on submitting to that reality over and over again. You keep after deferring the leadership of your life to Jesus. You keep after conferring with Jesus about his will and his purpose for your life. Just because you prayed a prayer a number of years ago and asked Jesus to forgive you for your sins, which is right and good and you are saved, it doesn't mean you're living in the fullness of what it means to be in relationship with Jesus. And to live in the fullness of what it means to be in relationship with Jesus, you have to submit. You have to surrender. You have to let him lead your life. I think this is so counterintuitive to us in our generation because we have got all kinds of notions about individuality. Me time. Where has that word come from? My mother never had me time. Did your mother have me time? We're living in an age where we so value ourselves. It's not wrong, but I think sometimes there's some befuddled thinking in it. We're living in an age where we so value ourselves, we put ourselves first. We put our needs first. We take care of ourselves first. You see, I can tell even as I'm looking out at you, this sounds terrible to you. But Jesus modeled something completely different. Was he putting his needs first when he died on the cross? Whose needs was he putting first? Yours. If you truly want to be alive and you put yourself at the center of that life, you will have a very small life. But if you choose to submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ, Paul the apostle writes these words, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. We love to sing these songs. We don't like to leave these truths. The minute you offered Jesus your life, he took you seriously and he yoked you in salvation to him. And he is now the Lord and master of your life. That's what you said yes to. And of course I know it's an ongoing journey and we keep on yielding and we keep on growing and we keep on submitting until the day we die. And then one day we will meet with him in glory and we'll understand why submission was good for us. Now here's the important thing about this kind of yoke. If we are not yoked to Jesus, we will be yoked to something else. You were created to be yoked to something. If it's not Jesus, you'll be yoked to your job. If it's not Jesus, you'll be yoked to your family. So we sing all these songs about Jesus, fill me and flood me with light and overwhelm me with your goodness. But every ounce of that which Christ desires for you is only available through submission. It's only available from staying yoked. But if you're independent and you want your own way and you want to strive to do things the way you think they should be done then it won't feel like an easy yoke to you to be a Christian. It will feel like hard work. You will struggle consistently in your submission and your partnership with Jesus. There are some things, you know, that are helpful to us to do as acts of submission. Can I identify a couple of them for you? Coming to church. It seems to me that in the last few years, coming to church seems optional. 
People think they're highly committed if they come once every three weeks. Now, I've been around long enough to know that that's a change. Why has it changed? Has coming to church lost its value? What do we gain from coming to church? If I'm yoked to Jesus and he's the Lord of my life and he's leading my life, let me tell you that Jesus wants you to be in fellowship. It says in the scriptures, do not forsake meeting together as some of you have become accustomed to. And as a result, of you, you've even got sick. Even death has happened to some people. Jesus designed us to live in community. Hello. I know you don't like this, but I'll keep going. Okay. So how has it become optional for me to not come to church? If Jesus is the Lord of my life, and I'm following Jesus, and he's leading me, is the church not Jesus' idea? Did Jesus not create community? So why do I think I have options? I'll tell you why. Because I've bought into the philosophy of the world, where I do what I think I need to do whenever it suits me, however it suits me. And there's a Christian convenience to some of that, that I think is not necessarily displaying that Jesus is Lord. Welcome to church. <laughs> so if you want to live in the fullness of the rest that Jesus offers you, you need to understand there are some attributes to submission that you need to adopt. And coming to church is good for you. Let me ask you a question. What is it that takes up your time on a Sunday apart from coming to church? A meal with the family, maybe? Visiting some people? Do you think that any of those environments provide you with the same spiritual opportunity to encounter or experience the presence of God? And if I was to ask this question even further, okay, how much of your week have you actually spent coming to Jesus? It says that the average Christian reads their Bible now for about four, maybe five minutes each day. And yet, if you were to look at the history on your phone, you've been on TikTok, Marketplace, Facebook. I... The other day, looked at my phone, and I was shocked. My average time each day to be on my phone is two and a half hours. And don't judge me, because I know some of you are worse than me. <laughs> some of you are worse than me. So let's put this into perspective. Jesus is the Lord of my life. Okay, he's my Lord and Savior. Amen? Amen. But I'm not too keen on coming to church. And I make some choices around that. Some people think they're highly committed if they come every third week. And Jesus says, do not forsake meeting together. The church is his idea. And he knows that we are better together than we are individually. Now that doesn't mean you don't have your life and you can make your choices. But actually, we are forsaking some things. And we're forsaking them. And let me be bold. Because in some parts of our life, Jesus is not Lord. We're just saying the right things.
you will spend two and a half hours on TikTok and five minutes in the Bible. My survey says that we're giving God the smallest opportunity to minister to us. In the busyness of our week, and we're all busy, and some of you won't like this message, I'll live. I just want to let you know, I'll survive it. The problem is, will you survive it? I'm hoping some of you don't. In the sense that I hope some things change for us. It's important that things change for us. It's important to say the truth. So we shoehorn the Lord of our lives, the one who offers us rest, the one who promises an easy yoke. We shoehorn our relationship with him into little tiny moments where we ask of him the most ridiculous things. God, I'll come to church this time. I haven't been for four weeks. Will you pour out your spirit on me, Jesus? Will you blast me from heaven? Will you revive me, Jesus? And Jesus would say, but hang on, there's more days in the week than this one. There's more days in the month than this one. Let's walk together. Let me be your Lord. Let me be the one who gives you a yoke that is easy. You see, it's very difficult to receive the blessings when you narrow it down to tiny moments for God to touch you and to heal you and restore you. And yet, we make all kinds of choices and they feel good to us to make. I'll confess to you, sometimes I don't want to come to church. I confess it. I'm just telling you. Do you know, like you feel it? Sometimes I think, oh, I'll have a lie-in. Have a day off. Maybe go to a different church. Where I don't know the problems, but I live in the promises. <laughs> I'm only human after all. Don't put the blame on me. Don't put the blame on me. I remember once we were in a church in Glasgow. It was so busy, you know. We were out six, seven nights a week, all day Saturday. And um, I woke up. I couldn't remember what day of the week it was. I thought it was my day off, which was a Monday. And I said to Jane, I'll just have a lie-in. And she said, you can't. It's Sunday. It's Sunday. <laughs> I said, you have to go to the church. You have to go and lead the meetings. And I thought, Why? You know that song, oh Jesus, oh Jesus. <laughs> it sounds more like a wine than a worship experience, doesn't it? You know, I'm only human. Sometimes I don't want to do the things I have to do. But I do the things I have to do because they're good for me to do them. Sometimes Jesus asks us to do things that feel highly uncomfortable to us. They're not the easy route. Trust me, I know people enough to know that whatever you choose to do will be whatever is the easiest thing for you to get through. The human nature that we all have is the lowest common factor. But God calls you higher. He speaks life over you and says, come up here, my beloved. There's a whole other way of living and a whole way of thinking. And if you want to enter his rest, you've got to consistently defer lordship to him. You have to come to him in every circumstance and in every situation. You cannot visit occasionally. You have to live consistently orientated to his reality. Every single day of your life in every decision you make, 
He longs to advise. He longs to instruct. He longs to lead. He longs to show you life. He longs to reveal truth to you. And if you're living independently, if your whole life is about your comfort and your sense of self, then you will miss some of the beautiful things that the Father has for you. And the Apostle Paul, as you read through the Scriptures, you see he caught this. He knew that walking with Jesus at times would feel uncomfortable, but he deferred consistently and persistently into this reality that God is here with me. God is present in my circumstance. Jesus is offering us an easy yoke, but for that yoke to become a reality, we need to live persistently and consistently in the deferral of our lives to his lordship and his presence. I don't know... Have you ever thought that sometimes it's easier to feel the presence of God in a meeting than it is in your workplace? But he is with you in your workplace. Sometimes when I was at Bible college, you know, all these young men and women seeking to serve God in the the ministry, they found it so easy when we were living together to keep one another accountable to the things that the Father had laid on our hearts to do. But the minute you start going back to your normal life, You have people who are not going to keep you accountable. Now, I don't like policing people's lives, but let me tell you what accountability looks like for me. Accountability is me keeping you accountable to the ability that God's given you. And that means if you have the capacity to love him and worship and serve him, it's my role as the pastor to keep you accountable to that which he has invited you to. I could stand here and say all kinds of things to you, all go out feeling really wonderful about your life, but you will not change. And Jesus desires to bring us further and further and further into submission to him. Now, if you understood the value of that, you'd be shouting hallelujah. But what you're feeling right now is your flesh. Your flesh can sometimes be louder than the spirit. Your flesh can resist what is good for it which is submission and obedience to the presence and the person of God. So what does it look like for us to live in that kind of relationship with Jesus? Well, I figured this out. If his mercies are new every morning and his faithfulness is great, I need to set my heart towards him first thing. Before I have to rush out with the kids, before I have to make sure the bins are back in, before I have to do a million other things, I need to set and incline my heart. I need to come to him and say, Lord, this day I want to live in sweet union with you. I want to sense your presence. I want to feel your touch upon my life. I want to walk in step with your spirit. I want to be led by you in every conversation I have. I want to to hear your voice in every decision I need to make. Lord Jesus, I'm not walking into my day independently because I am yoked to you. You are my Lord and you are my Savior. I'm not doing my own thing until your thing becomes apparent to me. In fact, here's better wisdom. I'm not going to do anything until you tell me what it is that you want me to do. Because I want to walk in the reality of your truth, not in the presumptions of my experience. 
Lord Jesus, I'm going to leave behind some things that are necessary so that I can adopt a posture of co-independence with you where you lead me consistently in every decision. I don't know if when you're talking to people that you realize this, but God is with you and he knows everything about the person you're speaking to. And sometimes we are so caught up in the moment, we don't stop to ask the questions. What would you like to say to this person, Jesus? I think this is true. You can weigh it yourself. If I'm interacting with somebody, there is no accident in the kingdom of heaven. This is a divine appointment, and I'm meeting this person as a child of God, submitted to the lordship of God, and God may want to speak. Oh, hallelujah. Walking with Jesus is the greatest privilege any human can ever experience. If you think about this, there are lots of important people. They wouldn't touch you with a barge bull. They wouldn't be interested in you. That's the reality. Let's not pretend to ourselves that we have some kind of kudos when it comes to those types of things. But God chose you from the foundations of the earth. He chose you to be with him. And to love him and to be loved by him. That's favor. That's blessing. That's what it means to live in union with Jesus Christ. That's what you've been invited to. To partner with him here on earth. As he leads you. And you who are the novice to this whole adventure. Allow him to do so. Any resistance I think is foolishness. Any independence is naivety. Because he is the only one who knows how this can become a reality for you. Let him lead you. He will lead you. You know, I've met people, they marry people, and they never even ask Jesus what they thought about it. I've met people who've taken jobs, and they never even prayed about it. They never even said, Lord, is this your will for my life? Oh, I know there's other factors. They needed the money and all of that kind of stuff. But actually, we're meant to be living in the relationship with the one who knows everything about everything. Why would you not ask? The Bible says, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. You know, some people have come to me five years after they got married and said, it's a disaster. It's a disaster, Pastor. Can you fix our relationship? And I think, why? Did you even ask Jesus back then whenever you decided to marry this person? And you know, I've really discovered this. When it comes to relationships, it's always the will of God to get the person you want. Does Jesus not care about who you marry? Hello? Does he, is it not important to him to speak to you and let you know this is good? Ladies, how many frogs have you kissed before you found a prince? Some of you have got scales on your face as a result of it. How many mistakes do we make? How many dead ends do we go down? How many problems and difficulties do we have to face? 
Our individualism, independence, and open-mindedness robs us of walking in partnership with the one who knows everything. And listen to this. Your steps have been ordained of the Lord. All the days of your life he knows. He has plans to prosper and to bless you. And you think you know better than God? You think you know more than God? Wake up. Wake up and smell the mercy. Wake up and smell his faithfulness. God knows everything about everything. Here's what I figure. He knows the end before the beginning. I don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. So this easy yoke that we're invited to, it can't be something we visit or even just pray, God, help me have an easy life. It's found in consistent and persistent deferring of our lives to the one who is life himself. It's found in giving ourselves away to him as servants, as partners, as he seeks to lead us. And you know what? I've never met anyone who can lead the way God leads. Never met anyone who can lead the way God leads. I was three weeks a Christian. I'm sitting in my bedroom and I have a question. And the people who led me to Jesus said, God will answer it through the Bible. I'd never read the Bible. They gave me a good news Bible. And this question, for some reason, was bothering me. And I thought, if I ask anybody else, they'll probably have an opinion. That's fine. But what does God think about this? And this was my question. Lord, is it your will that I am gay? I'd never read the Bible in my life. I picked it up off the shelf. I prayed the prayer. Lord, speak to me. These people said you would speak to me, and I opened the Bible randomly. I don't recommend this. Okay, but I wanted Jesus to lead my life. I wanted God to direct my steps. Okay, it's called submission. And with submission, there's another act that's really difficult for the human soul. It's called obedience. And the first words that I read halfway down a page Well, do you not know that no homosexual, adulterer, murderer, fornicator shall enter the kingdom of God? Now, I know now that the word homosexual is mentioned probably four times in the scriptures, alluded to maybe six. The chances of me finding that word, how many million to one would that be? So who was talking to me? The devil? Who was directing me? Myself? Can I tell you, I didn't want to hear that answer. Can I tell you honestly, I wanted another answer. And can I tell you that I was angry with the answer God gave me? Have you ever been angry with the answer God gave you? I've walked with Jesus for 38 years. Over that time, all kinds of people have come to try and dissuade me that that was God who spoke to me. We're living in a world now, even in the church, where all of those things are becoming acceptable. Some denominations are moving towards embracing all kinds of things. I have no judgment against that. But I've walked with Jesus for 38 years, submitting to his invitation not to be as I presumed of myself, of a particular orientation sexually, but to allow him to define a new reality for me. Every day of my life, I had to get up and pray those prayers. Lord, make me free. You know when I say to you, if the sun sets you free, you'll be free indeed. That's not a soundbite to me. That's my day-to-day life. Do I regret asking God? Well, I'll be honest with you. Sometimes it's been hard. 
Sometimes it's been difficult. But if he is the Lord of my life, if I am yoked with him and he's leading me, I let him take me where he wants me to be. I let him lead me to where he's leading me. Because he knows everything about everything and I know something about nothing. Amen? And you know, that is how we're supposed to live. We're supposed to live with God leading our lives. I don't mean to be rude or anything. You don't have the capacity to understand the end before the beginning. I don't wish to be controversial about any matter pertaining to your identity. But if God doesn't speak who you truly are, then you are laboring under illusion that somebody else told you or even you desire to be yourself. It is he who speaks life over you. He knows you. He knitted you together in your mother's womb. He formed you and he fashioned you for his purposes. You think you know better than God? You think you know more than he does about those things? Of course you don't. It says of his word that it's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. In other words, it illuminates, it brings revelation, and then it brings orchestration. What good is it having a lamp if you don't go somewhere in the light it offers you? You know why we're hard, pressed down, and overwhelmed by things? And I'll close with this. Because we're not letting God lead. We're trying to lead our own lives. Making our own choices. And then we come to church and we ask God to rescue us from them. If you want to live in the freedom of an easy yoke, it starts and will always continue with a coming to Jesus. Jesus says, come to me. Come to me when somebody rejects you. Come to me when somebody abandons you. Come to me when you don't get the respect that you should have in your workplace. Come to me. Come to me when you're in pain. Come to me when you're joyous. When life is going good for you, come to me. Come to me whenever it's so confusing in this world. We don't know what's real and what isn't real. Come to me. Come to me when you have a good day. Come to me when you have a bad day. Come to me whenever it's a high day. Come to me when it's your holiday. Come to me consistently and persistently. Choose me over what you see. Choose me over what you think is true. Choose me over what people tell you is true. Keep coming, keep coming, keep coming, keep coming, keep coming, and keep coming. And you will find, you will find rest. Imagine with me what it would look like for the church to be fully submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Imagine the ease in allowing him to lead your life. Problem for many of us in this room is we've never heard people talk about such things from a pulpit. We have bought into a convenient gospel where the only reason Jesus exists is to make our life easier. If you want to follow Jesus, it's going to cost you everything. It'll cost you everything. It'll cost you everything. You might even lose some friends. But you'll gain a family. You may look like a weirdo to the people you work with. But heaven will know your name and they'll rejoice when you open your mouth in praise and prayer. You may find that some people avoid you at a party, but you'll attract those who love Jesus. 
There will be some losses, but there are more gains than there ever are losses. Giving our lives to Jesus consistently requires a diligence and it requires an orientation of heart. And that is why worship is not something we do on a Sunday. It's a constant flow of deferring and surrendering our lives to the one who knows and the one who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's not a song. It's a submission of heart. It's an orientation of perspective. Paul uses these words, for me to live, my whole life is about this. I live for Jesus and for Jesus' benefit. And the good news is I've talked for so long it's stopped raining. God has shut up the heavens now. It's going to be sunshine all afternoon and I don't want to keep you from it. But I want to pray with you as we close. I'll be coming back to this in the next few weeks. There's loads of things to say about this. But can you hear the heartbeat of this message? The rest you search for and long for, the freedom from burdens and liberties, is not a quick fix to a problem. It's only found by an orientation of heart. Come to me, all of you who are burdened and heavy laden. Is there anyone here who's burdened? After the sermon, are you now heavy laden? I can see your faces, you know. I can see. I can see. Let's stand together. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that you are always right. And I want to thank you, Jesus, that you don't impose your will upon us. You invite us to submit and surrender to it. I thank you, Jesus, that you're brilliant. You have all knowledge and all power at your disposal. And my resources are very limited. I want to thank you. This word is true, Lord. There is a way that seems right unto a man. But the road leads to destruction. If I'm not careful, Lord, if I'm doing it my way, on my terms, I'll end up at a place that I never thought I'd end up in. And so I confess to you, Lord Jesus Christ, sometimes I struggle to submit. Sometimes I struggle to put you first or to come to you first with everything and anything that's going on in my life. I struggle to defer to you consistently. I struggle to trust the Lord with all my heart. Because I keep trying to lean on my own understanding. But my understanding is so limited, Lord. My worldview, my life experience, so restricting. When I have access to you, Lord Jesus, all day, every day, I want to grow in my capacity to come to you. I want to come to you in the morning, Jesus, before the day begins and incline my heart to intimacy. I want to step towards, Father, the reality of who you call me to be, moment by moment throughout the day, in every conversation, in every situation. I want to know your presence and your power and your direction. Lord, I want to make small choices under the submission that comes from a heart that's surrendered in love to the one who loves perfectly. And I want to make big choices, having sought your wisdom and your discernment regarding them. I do not want to live independently, Jesus. I don't want to live as an orphan who has no father. 
I want to come to the one who is wisdom itself and seek your heart and know your ways, Jesus. I want to walk in step with you, Jesus. I want to be yoked with you as you lead me from victory to victory, from destiny to destiny, into fullness and into blessing consistently. I want to thank you, Jesus, that you have submitted yourself to being tied to me in salvation. You are the God who has made himself connected to me. And Lord Jesus, be the Lord of my life. Be my waking thought and my final amen. Lord, be the song in my heart throughout the day. Lord, be the wisdom and the knowledge and the revelation that I seek in every decision or situation I face. Lord Jesus, help me to grow in coming to you. I do not have to live outside of the auspices and the parameters of the blessing of being yoked to you, Jesus. I have to learn to submit to the yoke and the blessing that you have given me through grace and mercy. Lord, be the Lord of my life. My every thought, I pray God, would be submitted to your wisdom and revelation. My every act, Lord God, would come into alignment with your purpose and your plan. My every heart inclination will be submitted to the reality that you're the only one who can truly satisfy. And Lord, I want to move from a life that's burdensome, where I'm carrying all kinds of things through strife and indeed ignorance, because you only ever want to lead me to life. May I not resist you, Lord. May I submit to you. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him. Listen to this phrase. In your presence daily live. Lord, I ask this in your precious name. Amen. Uh, Please take your seat for a second. You're going to come and tell us something the Lord said to you. Just a second, two seconds this will take. Can I get that mic please, Sarah? Take, Take your seat for a second. We chatted briefly at the end of last week's service and you saw something I think will be of benefit for the church to hear. So before we go, let's go hearing something from a prophetic man who's heard the voice of God regarding this fellowship and what God wants to do. Thank you. Good afternoon. Um, I, was, I was hoping that pastor will forget, but <laughs> he didn't. Um, last Sunday when uh, pastor was praying towards the end, um, regarding the message that um, we should always remember to carry oil with our lamps. So pastor was praying at the end like what he just did. And um, I saw this picture. It was a picture of a huge garden. And on this garden, there was gravel, white. You know, the gravel people put in gardens. It's creamish, whitish. That's that's the gravel I saw in this huge garden. But on this... um, Gravel. What surprised me was there was dead leaves on the gravel. And I was wondering, what's this? And I sensed the Holy Spirit was saying, just like the message that we as Christians should always remember to carry oil. The message was that we should maintain our relationship with God, with the Lord, the way we should maintain our guidance. Every one of us, let's remove the litter in our lives. We know our weaknesses. We know the areas we need to improve. Let's ask Jesus to help us and maintain our gardens so that our gardens 
are presentable all the time are clean as much as possible. Thank you. Amen. 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 Yeah, where I live right now, um, the whole kind of concept of this, I've been sensing God speak to me this week. It was overgrown. And it was overgrown because um, I, I suppose, you know, people have priorities. And, um, but we, in our attempt to try and um, tend the garden, actually started to clear some of the shrubs and various things that had for, for many, many reasons grown quite large. And um, underneath the shrubs was a patio area and like various assigned places that whoever designed the garden actually purposefully and intentionally placed there. But, you know, to be honest with you, you would never have known they existed. And, and when we hear of this word about tending our garden, sometimes that's a cutting down of some things that have grown beyond their usage or beyond their blessing to us. There's things to cut down in your life. There's things to cut down. You need to take down some things that are stopping the light from coming into the space that God has given you. Things that for at some season would have been in order and would have been appropriate have become so vast and so great that they now shadow, overshadow the other things that the Lord wants to do. There's a, a spiritual metaphor there for us to think about. Some things just need to come down. Some things need to come down. And there are things in all our lives I think need to come down. The other thing to say that there is an original design. God has created a particular order for your life. It'll be very unique to you, but you're going to have to clear some things to be able to find it. And I think this is a season where I'm sensing over and over again for the church generally in our nation and the nations that God is clearing the way for some things. You see, the church has lost its sense of identity. You may have lost your sense of identity, but God is making a clearing for you. He's making some space for you so that you can see how it was supposed to be. And of course, then there's the other part of gardening, and that is there are new things to be planted. You know, every person who has a garden has their own particular favorite shrubs and flowers, and I've been investing quite a lot of money in the last few months just putting some things into my garden because they bring pleasure to me. God is planting some new things in the lives of his people. Someone say amen to that. Don't worry about the clock. This is more important. God is planting some new things and you can work with him in partnership with him to make sure that those things are planted. There's new revelation coming. There's new understanding coming. There's new experiences coming with him. God is planting some new things. Someone say amen to that. But like all gardens, if they're neglected, they will overgrow. And so if, if I can leave you with this thought, the Bible says for us that the boundaries, they fall for us in pleasant places. It also says in the Old Testament that our lives will be like a well-watered garden. What does a well-watered garden look like? It's blooming. It's full. It's flourishing. So when I heard this word last week, it echoed to me some of the things that I felt the Spirit of God was saying to us. And actually, I think this is about the church. There are some things that need to come down. Some things need to be trimmed back. There's an original design for this church that we need to rediscover. God had a plan and a purpose when he set his heart towards building for himself a community here. And there are some new things to be planted. Some new ministries. Some new encounters, some new experiences for God's people. Well, my 
prayer for you is he will extend your territory to the north, the south. Who wants a postage stamp gardener when you can have acres? And don't worry, he's the great gardener and he attends. So don't be overwhelmed by the task ahead. He attends. God bless you, church. Have a wonderful week and we'll see you soon.